Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I want to give another shout out to my good buddies over at the Outhouse Podcast. Um, just like we said last week, if you didn't catch it, the Outhouse is a podcast I discovered recently in town that interviews people from the LGBTQIA plus community about their coming out stories. So it can be kind of tough to hear sometimes, but it's also really sweet and funny. And the hosts, Matt and Aaron, they do such a good job of connecting with the guests. And, and it's really honestly inspiring, you know, even if you've never had to go through something like that really kind of helps you rethink the way you look at people around you and what they might have had to go through. So I definitely recommend them. Again, if you like this stuff, you will like that stuff as well. So I hope you check them out. Uh, They're on all social media, Outhouse Podcast, or The Outhouse, three words, on Apple Podcasts. Give it a listen, and then come right back here. As for this podcast, my guest this week is Ada McCartney. Ada is a performance poet and actress and writer and arts educator in town uh, who we met about a year ago doing an art piece for the Mesa Art Center. Um, So she has a lot of really cool ideas. Uh, We spent a lot of time talking in this episode about some heavy questions about the nature of art and the role of the performer in interpreting it. And, And so it's a uh, kind of a ponderous one, but really interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah, it is hilarious to talk to. Um, so I think you guys will agree. So please sit back and enjoy Ada McCartney. Welcome to Starving Artist Phoenix. I'm Tony Machete. I have Ada McCartney with me today. How are you doing, Ada? I'm doing well, Tony. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Thank you. I noticed this is something that you're going to hear probably in the last podcast, too. I just realized that I, that's how I always started off, but every time I laugh at myself because I feel like it's such an awkward, like, formal, forced in, like introduction to this, and all of my guests are always like, Thank you very much. I'm doing quite well. So I've got to find a better way to do that. Uh, but I am glad... It's classy. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so it's really kind of adds some gravitas to the whole thing. Um, I, I'm glad you had a chance to uh, sit down. We've been talking about this for a long time, but you're such a busy person. I am so excited that you had a chance to set some time aside to talk about this. Um, so I first met you during um, a project we, we started working on through the Mesa Art Center, but um, you came in and you, you were auditioning with a piece that was a poetry piece. So that's kind of where I wanted to start from, is like how, how you came into the poetry world, if that, if that started first, or if it was theater, or like how? Um, I guess poetry, poetry happened in high school. Um, I, my first role in the theater was in first grade. I was a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. So I guess technically theater came first. However... Um, was that like... I, I'm sorry to cut you off right away, no. but like what? And that first grade performance, was that like a, a click in your head? Was that like, I want to do this type of thing? Or was it just, you know, fun? Um, kind of. There wasn't like... this. The like theater in my high school is a little bit spotty. I don't think we had them every year but i remember loving being on stage and the attention obviously <laughs> um so i think i think something definitely clicked i liked i liked being the center of attention i really liked being on stage i also enjoyed 
um, definitely from that initial first grade experience, the the atmosphere of being around a bunch of people creating nice. something, and just that like bubbling well of enthusiasm and like passion for for one particular project. Um, so even though it didn't happen very often, when it did, people were pretty into it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, usually it'd be like a math or an English teacher with an interest in theater would direct. Um, direct to play and oh, a cool. couple times we had musicals like the the band teacher who's also the choir director would like lead the music part of it so it was very very small very intimate experience um and a lot of fun um but in high school um I had a teacher Susan Aiken um to this day one of my one of my dear friends I consider her family um she introduced me to slam poetry uh, I was not necessarily doing great in life, um, and she started hauling me with her up to Kalamazoo to Craft Brow Brewery to go to Poetry Slams, <laughs> and awesome. um, had a unit on it in one of her classes, and uh, it really took off. I um, it competed regionally and um, published a chapbook and was in a couple of other chapbooks um, through this this regional competition that I did. So that was really that was really kind of the passion. And during during that time I was also kind of doing theater in high school and knew that I wanted to study performance and poetry in college. Um, so I knew that, but poetry and particularly performance poetry has been my my sort of first and most passionate love. Was the the regional thing you're talking about was like a Brave New Voices program or no? It was okay. before Brave New Voices. Oh. It, this was um, early two thousands. Um, I there was a just like its own poetry thing. movement in Michigan. Um, Interesting. Started the like big the big deal in youth poetry during that time was Pioneer High School in Ann Arbor, um, and so. Um, they helped bring like Buddy Wakefield and um, a couple of other big names into our small schools to do workshops and have performances. Um, so that was that was incredibly inspiring and and just mind boggling at, you know, as like a tenth grader. So Susan, did um, was she somebody you said she did a, like a unit on this with the class? Was she trying to like get everybody like that she could to come come along for this ride, or did she like, kind of zone in on you? Um, I'm not sure if she zoned in on me or I latched onto her, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest. Yes. She um, didn't have any say in the matter. You were, you were into it from committed. the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I picked her for sure. That's awesome. um, I remember mm-hmm. as a junior high student interviewing her for the school paper and being absolutely terrified of her standing there with my little notebook, just <laughs> shake, shake, shaking, and asking her the questions and like deciding at that moment that I was going to take every class that I possibly could with her because she was so intimidating and so awesome. So you, you mentioned a couple of times, like it's focus on performance, not so much acting, not so much like theater, the, the writing itself, but the performance aspect is kind of the, the theme so far. So what is it about performance that stands out to you? Um, not everybody can read or likes to read, but I f- believe firmly that everybody has a story and everybody can relate to personal stories. So I think that for me, performance, and particularly performance poetry, and also theater by extension, um, 
really is an incredible way to bridge bridge gaps and build connections and start dialogue across boundaries that that might otherwise stand taller than than the connection. That was a bit of a mixed metaphor. <laughs> I think I got you. Uh, so, I mean, what what separates the, I guess, kind of big lofty idea of performance as opposed to other, uh, like, acting? You, to be honest, I'm not sure. I, I feel like a lifelong learner in that regard. Um, in college, and I think now my, my passion has developed into... Um, to, to sort of span the gamut from um, slam poetry and spoken word to um, Augusta Wall's theater of the oppressed approaches and methodology to a more classical um, acting and and taking taking the story taking the play and bringing it to life for the sake of bringing the art to life so I think I can appreciate and I have a passion for all of those things and I think in my in my fantasy world I find a way to bring them all together and <laughs> and empower them with some like healing healing capacities. So, I mean, I know you kind of touched on it already that you you said you kind of got introduced to this while you were in a rough period of your life. So, you're obviously someone who really believes in the healing power of performance and and creativity. So talk a little bit about that. I mean, how do you feel like it, people can benefit from that? Um, I am not sure about people. I can talk about my experience. Um, which... I'd prefer if you just talked about people. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, people. Um... Yeah, so how, how has it helped you? That's the thing. <laughs> um, in, I don't know. So in high school, you know, typical angsty high school um, family problems and not, and I wasn't an athlete by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't particularly cool. Um, I was in band, um, but that was like my only, my only outlet. So when I discovered that I could funnel all of my rage and angst and fear and, um, fury and love and hurt into poems and then stand up on stage and like have an impact on people and start conversations and have an outlet for all that shit. Um, it was life changing for me. It really, I, um, it was absolutely life changing. I think I felt myself turn into a better person and that was something clicked and I said, okay, yeah, you, you need to keep doing this because it makes you a better person. See, that's the line that, that I, I think I'm maybe starting to beat a dead horse a little bit with it, but that's the line that's kind of surprising me that you were able to cross those, that I, I know that, like you said, a lot of teens that get angsty and angry and, you know, just not really sure what to do with their emotions. And I feel like a lot of them turn to writing poetry in some form or another, or just writing their thoughts down, but actually sharing them is a step that I feel like a lot of people are just not willing to take, but it seemed like that was an essential part of it for you. So was that an easy step for you to take or do you? I don't know if it was easy. I absolutely mm -hmm. credit my teacher, Susan Aiken mm -hmm. and my community of mentors in the slam scene in Kalamazoo. Um, they span the gamut from, you know, 70 year old recovering alcoholic to 18 year old college student. Um, and it was just this incredibly warm, welcoming community of people who believed in the power of spoken word and the transformative power of performance. And, and also this like, um, this grassroots element of it and that, that it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your day job is, your voice is equally important and equally um, vital. 
And that, I think, is what kind of lit the fire under my ass, so to speak. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I'm, I'm glad you kind of brought up the diversity that goes into it, too, because I think that there is kind of a, I guess, like a stigma that goes along with the idea of slam poetry. When somebody hears those, like, obviously, they think of, like, uh, John Lennon glasses and a turtleneck and bongos. <laughs> For some reason, there's always bongos. There's way less bongos than I expected when I first started um, saying slam props poetry. Props are actually not allowed in poetry <laughs> Exactly. Slams, it's so. just you. Yeah, just you and your body. But um, I, is that, do you see patterns in performance? I mean, when, when it comes to um, seeing this performance poetry, do you feel like there is a certain style to it that people maybe get stuck in? I see that now. To be to, so mm-hmm. full disclosure, I have not actually performed as a slam poet in since like 2015. <gasps> what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> I, I occasionally go to poetry slams, uh-huh. but I I did. I started to really notice, um, and and all you slam poets out there listening, mm-hmm. because I know that you're listening to the Starving Artist <laughs> podcast. They um, could be. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, but. Sorry, I just alienated your audience. Um, I'm not talking to you. Anyway, um, I started to notice some like really clear gimmicks and, and also in my own writing, the sort of latching on to particular um, methods and patterns and gimmicks to, to hammer home the point. There's like a, there's sort of the three minute form and it's easy to fall into a particular rhythm of building up to a climax and sort of delivering your punchline. Um, and I got bored with it, to be to be honest. Um, I got I got bored with it, and that sort of led me to to take playwriting in college and to start thinking about what could be beyond just that three minute competition of slam poetry. And then I started to get interested in well, what if I can bring props in? What if I can play an instrument? What if I could add interpretive dance? And then I just got kind of interested in other things, I think. So it, it kind of became, uh, you you weren't getting your fix anymore from it. Like you weren't um, getting that same rush from before. It was starting to get kind of stale. So you needed to find a new outlet in some way, like exactly. to, to hit that same rush you were getting before, that emotional rush. And so, so when you realized that and you, you were trying to find some other avenues, I mean, what what was that process like? How were you exploring? What What did it look like? Well, um, I slid down a rocky hill and floundered at the bottom for quite a while. Um, There was a period of time where I didn't do anything except probably make my partner really miserable. Um, So I can see you maybe relate to that a little bit, Um, perhaps. Anyway, um, what else did I find? Um... In college, I, so after I got into slam poetry and was really interested in it, I I went on to college Mm -hmm. and um, studied theater and creative writing, and I didn't necessarily find the community or the passionate performers that I I thought I would in the community of poets that I was studying with. Mm -hmm. Um, I was disenchanted with most of them, frankly, and, um, and... a little bit salty, so I started to gravitate more toward the theater, and in particular, um, theater for community and theater for social justice. Um, Augusto Boal was was sort of my idol for a little while, um, for lack of a better word. And did you discover the theater for the oppressed on your own, or was that something taught? No, um, my acting coach, who 
was also the woman who introduced me to yoga. Um, I took that class with her. I took uh, theater for theater methods for theater and theater methods for community dialogue and social action was the name of the class. Um, so I took it and then I TA'd like three times because I loved it so much and it was the only class like it that my school offered. Um, and I just, I really, I, for me, it had that same grassroots feel and that same sort of level playing field of all voices and all stories being equally important. Whereas in the more traditional theater classes that I had, um, I, it was a little more exclusive. Hmm. and yeah. the exclusivity turned me off. Um, <laughs> so I, I think that's why I gravitated toward uh, the more social justice-oriented theater work. Um, Interesting. So, I mean, do you feel like, I don't know if I'm wording this right way, but do you feel like the idea of social justice is integral to, like, expressing yourself? I mean, do you, do you feel like it has to have... Uh, a bigger message in order for people to relate, in order for people to no, be part of it? No, no, okay. no, no. I think, um, I mean, I don't think that they're, that, a, that adding a message uh -huh. to your story necessarily adds anything positive to it. I think there there are really important messages out sure, there. Yeah. Um, there are some very obvious issues of social justice in the world. And I think that a lot of stories touch on that, speak to that, um, speak about that, um, dissect, dissect some of those issues, but I don't necessarily think that, that they have to be on message or, or contain specifically crafted messages to, to be related to social, to be related to social justice. Do you think that, maybe this is like a loaded question or a big question, but do you feel like there is an inherent reason for theater or for... Like any kind of function, reason? yeah. Is oh, there any yeah. kind of function that it ser like that it has to serve um, in order to qualify as like quality? Oh, I guess? <laughs> Anne Bogart comes immediately to mind. Um, in one of her books, she writes that theater must um, simultaneously entertain the drunks and do like two other things that I'm <laughs> forgetting at this moment. As long um, as we're entertaining the drunks, that's embarrassment. <laughs> Uh, one of them, I think, is like start dialogue or make you think. I'm really sorry, Anne Bogart, that I'm botching your, botching your. She'll write like this. <laughs> I hope you do. Please correct me. Um, but I think I think that theater and is is integral and vital and necessary. Um, so for for what I guess is my question. Like, what? Why do you think theater in particular? Like, what what does it do that that it's so necessary? From my point of view, uh -huh. it empowers um, it empowers communities. Um, I'm not necessarily talking to like Broadway, although I'm sure that does too. Mm -hmm. I'm, but in an as from an audience perspective, sitting in an audience, watching theater is completely different from watching TV. You see people that you might recognize on stage. There's there's that like physical tenacity, this like energy flowing between you, um, and just the human connection. Um, um, additionally, <clears throat> you asked me what for, what is theater for? Yeah. Um, additionally, I think it is for, for telling those stories, the, the most human, 
gritty, delightful stories. Um, I think I think that's the purpose that theater serves, and like ultimately should serve. That's excellent. That's awesome. And it's something interesting with that kind of theater. I feel like I mean I don't know too much about it. We we didn't have that much direct exposure to it um, in my college. We didn't have like specific classes like that for it. But uh, it's it seems like a lot of that theater, similar to uh, poetry, like performance poetry, you're kind of playing yourself or a heightened version of yourself. Normally, a, a lot of the times those plays are, are set up by people who are directly affected by the thing that they're talking about. They're either members of that community or they are like biographical stories, that type of thing. Um, so uh, do you feel like that is is something that, I guess, is, is important as well uh, when for you as a performer, like to be playing something that's that's personal to you, that means something to you? Or would you, do you feel like you can be someone else's vessel? I, I love this question because I've <laughs> Because it took like thinking... 45 seconds to say it. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it was beautiful. Um, I've actually been thinking about that a lot recently, like the the difference between being somebody else's vessel versus telling my own story. And, and as an artist, which is, am I am I still a valid artist if I if I want to tell my own story rather than be somebody else's vessel? Um, both and. <laughs> so you think that there's, I mean, at a certain point, you, you want to be able to kind of express something personal to you and you want to be able to, to share your own story um, because you are the one who understands it and expresses it. But you also understand that you can't always expect that of somebody, maybe. Sometimes people need a third party to dilute it. Or... Yes, and um, <laughs> <laughs> I have found that sometimes every time that I've taken on a role um, and and been the vessel so uh-huh. to speak there's something so powerful and so incredible about stepping empathetically into another being and another story and another perspective and just wearing it and being in that that skin and that that being um, and every time I come away from the experience having learned things and having experienced things that that absolutely make me a richer, better, um, more informed, more more interested human being. Um, so I think I think that 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 is equally as powerful as telling my own story or or say um, jokering and and drawing out biographical stories. Um, I think right now I'm particularly interested in telling my own story. Um, maybe as catharsis maybe as a, a challenge but but it's definitely a both and for me do you worry that something might ever get lost in translation um when you all have the person <laughs> would you all trust the time <laughs> would you trust somebody maybe like reading something that you wrote about yourself like reading one of your poems performing one of your poems would you how would you see that happening? <laughs> um, I would be honored, first of all, that anybody else would be interested enough in my writing and my story to, to take it on. Um, and also terrified. Um, also terrified <laughs> that, that something would be lost in translation, that it wouldn't be good enough, that, um, that it's not interesting, mm-hmm. that, I don't know, any, num- any laundry list of normal human insecurities. <laughs> Um. <laughs> uh, that, let's look at it from a technical standpoint then so do you prepare yourself to perform a poem the same way you prepare for a role on stage 
Yes-ish. What's that look like? Um, I love research. It's a lot, a lot of reading, a lot of research, a lot of, um, maybe I'm a dramaturg um, at heart. Um, and when it's, when it's my own poetry and my own work, um, I think it, I think a lot of that process is a little more ingrained um, because it will be, you know, memorizing a poem. Whereas uh, if it's a play that I'm, that I'm working on, I'll, you know, read the play a thousand times and research the time period and, um, you know, all of that contextual stuff. Whereas when it's myself, the context is a little more intimate and a little more already there. Um, which I think is probably another reason that if somebody else were performing my work, I would be terrified because I don't know that I, I don't know that I have in the past done a very good job of like getting all of that out because I'll, I'll write down, you know, the bones of what's going to come out of my mouth uh -huh. and maybe some like movement notes, but not necessarily all of that other context that, that I find in, in plays. Um, and that I want to write. <laughs> <laughs> just, to note, uh, just kind of for my own curiosity too, because that's something that I sometimes run into trouble with is like, uh, you know, well, you'll do a lot of research and background and stuff and you'll have all the stuff in your head. How do you physicalize it as an actor? Paralysis by analysis. <laughs> um, I, I really love um, physical approaches to acting and, and movement-based technique and admittedly I'm not as versed in the technical aspects of that as I would like to be I'm I feel like I feel like I'm a lear learner more than an expert by far um, but I I really advocate um, like once you once you do all the research once you've got the reading throw it aside and just play and move around and try on try on different postures and voices and and you know quirks and gestures um i found that to be the most successful approach for myself anyway nice that reminds me of i feel like i'm talking a lot on this one i don't know why but that reminds me of uh i heard christopher walken the re the way that he like prepares for role he doesn't actually like research much on a character but he just takes each of his lines and, and reads each one like inflecting a different word until he finds <laughs> something that he likes and that's why he always sounds so weird is that he just like plays with it until he has fun i like that yeah i think that's probably more akin to my I do I do front load with some reading sure. um, because I I'm a dork and I like that <laughs> but but ultimately I kind of set it all aside and, and do like to just play with what what sounds cool what's intriguing what's an interesting inflection here that's interesting so let's talk about movement too so you mentioned movement a couple of times so uh what role do you feel like movement plays when when you are on stage when you are performing and is it its own separate thing from you know acting definitely yeah. not separate for me um i uh have a profound and incredible appreciation for my body and the fact that it works <laughs> and does things and moves around um and I think that it is it is integral to expressing humanness, both for me and for any character. Um, and I I haven't always been so intimately connected to my body, which I think is why I so profoundly appreciate it. That's awesome. Okay, so it's it's really just your own enthusiasm then coming out. And that's what, yeah. Totally. Um, it's totally. I 
was introduced to yoga um, my freshman year of college. I was recovering from a horrible injury, um, and I was not able to to study theater in the way that I had wanted to. And my acting coach uh, was also my yoga teacher, and and through that study and that practice, I developed just an incredible sense of of the the divineness of having a body that works and functions and does stuff and how and how incredibly changed I am as a human when my body doesn't function and doesn't work the way that the way in the ways that most of us take for granted like walking or um, being able to use the bathroom independently like really basic stuff um, but it's it's so important to like your confidence and expressiveness as a human, but most of the time we don't even think about it. Yeah, no, that's really interesting to think about. Um, let's let's go back in, in time then there. So uh, you you said you had your, your theater teacher who was your, also your yoga teacher um, that was coaching you in this new way. You were kind of getting further away from what you had practiced before, exploring some new ideas. Um, at what point do you end up here in Arizona? Well... Um, I like point in time or like point in metaphysical journey. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think of it <laughs> that there would be multiple answers, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's go on that. So you, do you feel like you were fully completed as an artist before you came to Phoenix? I know you said you no, you're a learner. Oh no. but, Absolutely yeah. not. I don't, I don't feel completed as an artist today <laughs> as we're talking. Okay. I'm honored that you wanted to interview me um, because I feel, I feel like a novice, like I'm a, a learner. Um, I'll, I'll rephrase that so that I know that complete is a very big, big term, big word, but um, did you leave uh, Michigan and come here feeling like you were ready for the professional world? Not, so, sort of, not really. Um, I left Michigan and moved here um, after my partner moved here. And um, at the point that I moved to Arizona, I had been working in theater for only two years since graduating college and had somehow managed to totally burn myself out. Um, uh, not necessarily, just in life in general. I, f I felt kind of burned out. And so I envisioned moving to Arizona as like a, a fresh start. <laughs> um, and when I moved here, I had a bit of a reality check. Like, okay, you can't just start over in life. You are who you are. Um, and I did not seek out an artistic community when I moved here. I definitely took for granted the one that I had in the Midwest mm. um, and didn't realize how valuable a resource having an artistic community and being known is. Um, was, and, I, I, sorry, I didn't catch yeah. was, uh, when you say the artistic community back there and being known, uh, was most of the artistic community built on the college graduates then, or? No, okay. there's a vibrant, vibrant community, um, community of artists. And it was in Kalamazoo, um, somebody, I can't take credit for this, uh, somebody else recently talked about how 
the arts are woven into the fabric of the community there. Um, so coming up, it was just a part of life. And these are people, most of these people are people that I've known since, you know, high school, having gone to shows, having been involved in different things, having worked with them on a music project here or an installation there. Um, and it was just part of the fabric of my life that I, that, that I was doing artistic things in a variety of different genres with a lot of different people in the community. And when I moved here in 2013, that was very much not the case. I did not have a car. I didn't plan on driving. Um, I thought I was going to be able to live um, bicycling everywhere here. And I also moved out here at the beginning of the summer. Oh, no. <laughs> so, the worst things to combine. Um, so I was fairly isolated for a couple of years and spent some time writing and making my partner kind of miserable, I imagine. Um, and then I think it was right around the time that I met you when I finally gathered up the courage to really kind of jump in feet first and, and get involved in my community here. What flipped the switch for that? Was it just uh, an eventual buildup of everything or? Uh, absolute misery. Like, <laughs> it was not... Um, I was working in, as a barista in coffee shops. I got a, I got a corporate job as a, an administrative assistant for a little while and sitting, sitting behind a desk all day, every day really, um, opened my eyes to the fact that that is not the life I'm meant for or good at. <laughs> and I'm not my best self when I'm not creating and supporting other creators so when you took on that corporate job was it uh with the idea that this is kind of a, a side thing and i'm just going to be kind of developed like finding my feet that type of thing or, or was it with the conscious decision of like i'm stepping away from the arts for a oh, while absolutely not it was very much like okay. a i'm not really sure what i'm doing i need a job with insurance um <laughs> <laughs> this my friend um suggested that I apply. She worked for this company. So it was it was kind of just a, oh, this looks good for the moment type thing. It was nothing that I envisioned for myself permanently. I've, um, I think, always been sure that I would be in the arts somehow, either um, as an educator or performer or writer or something. So were you also looking, looking for those structured artistic jobs? Were you also looking for like creative jobs with insurance then? Or? I was okay. and um, eventually I got one working uh, with Child's Play for whom I, is, I still work um, as a teaching artist and I love, I love it. I enjoy Child's Play a lot. I also um, began working at Arizona School for the Arts and just started a full-time position there. And I, I love being around young people. I'm, I, I do, I really love being around young people. I just have to, <laughs> <laughs> have to say that again. Um, what is it about like being around the youth uh, that uh, inspires you? <laughs> um, I can't just fall into the the normal rote, like, oh, everything's fine, let me put my my adult mask on and, like, lumber through. Um, fifth graders will call you out if, <laughs> if, you're, if you're clearly having a bad day and you try to say, oh, yeah, I'm fine. They'll say, no, you're not, Miss McCartney. <laughs> Let's go. But, but awesome. that aside, um, 
not even just youth. I feel like I feel like I learn so much from people who are younger and older than me. It's it's important to me not to be stuck in my peer group all of the time. And I feel like as a barista, as an admin assistant, like yeah, you interact with other people, but for the most part, your day-to-day -day interactions are with with a peer group. Um, and I like I like mixing it up. Nice. So was it an intimidating transition then to get back into like the uh, teaching artist environment with Child's Play after so long? A little bit. Um, there can be a culture of like, oh, what project are you working on right now? What have you done? What, um, what shows have you been in? And having spent a few years in my basement and not really doing anything, <laughs> Um, I think it was a little intimidating to interact with my colleagues and, and have those conversations and at the same time not necessarily feel motivated to go out and audition for everything, um, but to kind of hear them and, and sort of start to have that negative self-talk of like, oh, well, you're teaching this. What are you doing with your life if you're not? If you're not out on stage getting it, <laughs> the whole, definitely those not. who can't do teach exactly. kind of thing, exactly. weighing over you. Yeah. Um, so, how do you approach making like relationships, like networking type of relationships and stuff, coming in from that angle? Was it something that you you felt like you had to do uh, even more so, just because you were kind of on the outside? Or? Probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have definitely taken the approach of authenticity, maybe at the expense of profound and extensive networking. Um, I, I have tended to and tend to um, reach out to people I'm drawn to as human beings who are doing things that really pique my interest um, and to really value quality over quantity. Um, as a human who's who likes to sleep and has limited resources in terms of time and energy, um, it's really important to me that I'm spending that time and energy on things and people that I care about. Um, so what uh, what constitutes that then? How do you vet out the projects and the relationships that you cultivate? Oh, it's super, super woo-woo. I feel it out. <laughs> <laughs> I have a good feeling. I go with it. They're a Capricorn, they're in. <laughs> sometimes it pans out, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but nine times out of ten, I just go with my gut and hope for the best. That's, that's excellent, though. Okay, so, I mean, I feel like at, at a certain point, you kind of have to. That's that's what we're all doing. We, we try to add other things into it. But um, I am really interested in the fact that you, like, use the phrase, like, authenticity to describe that. So did, would you consider networking by nature inauthentic? Absolutely not. I would say I'm probably just not as good at it as I would like to be. <laughs> I think okay. networking can be can be and is very authentic. And that's not and, meant to be like a gotcha um, question or anything like that. <laughs> you like, totally got me. Right. <laughs> um, uh, no, I really I enjoy socializing and networking, um, but I'm not, I, I think I'm maybe, one of my weaknesses is that I'm not much of a social event hobnobbing type person 
I prefer to be at home writing most of the time. <laughs> uh, so going off of that too, though, what about when you're on stage? Do you prefer working on solo projects? Like I, I know that's the thing that you're working towards right now, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about too, um, is a solo piece. It's something very personal also, but um, it's just you on stage with your tools, your resources. Is that how you prefer it? Absolutely not. That is actually, um, I've always, I've always wanted to do a one woman show and, or maybe more than one, just, I think to push my boundaries of comfort and to try it out. And because I have a lot of material that I, that I want to try out and I feel like kind of like a singer songwriter, if I don't put it out there, it's probably going to sit in a folder forever. Um, so I may as well kind of try it out. Um, but I, I equally love collaborating and, and being one voice of many. Um, I think, I think ensemble based collaborative projects are probably my favorite thing. So, uh, is there, uh, any kind of trepidation, I guess, that comes along with a project like, like that, where it's, it's kind of your idea from start to finish. Uh, do you do you feel any kind of sense of comfort or discomfort with that either way? Or? Um, at this precise moment, mm-hmm. given that I'm working on a, a one-woman show, I'm feeling a lot of trepidation, a lot of very much like, is this really as good as I thought it was? Like, who is gonna want to listen? Like, what what am I doing? Like, oh, there's there's definitely some some of that like. Uh, fear and probably some negative self-talk and some like trepidation is the right word Um, along with the enthusiasm and the the excitement at putting myself out there what about again from like a financial standpoint even uh, the idea that you're doing something original and people are maybe going to have to take a little bit more of a leap of faith if they want to commit their time and, and effort to it. Is that something that's been over your head or am I just hanging out? Oh no, that is absolutely real. That, uh-huh. to be honest, that's why it's taken me, let's call it five years-ish. That's, that's why it's taken me several years from the point I, f- I first started dreaming about this. I'd say like early in college, maybe like in the two, probably 10 years ago, um, at least. And it's taken me that long to finally get to a point in my life where I'm like, fuck it. This is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. Let's see, let's see what happens when I put it out there and reach out and, and see if anybody else is interested. So what, what changed then? Was it really just a matter of like, maybe having like a steady job on the side that you knew you could lean back on? Or was it... Um, Any kind of other confidence builders that had to come around to, to get that point? Definitely age and confidence, um, and, al- and along with that, realizing that you know I'm I'm approaching thirty, and if not now, when? <laughs> so there's a little bit of that. Um, having a steady job is helpful. There's less um, when you're constantly interviewing and constantly wondering like what what your permanent gig is going to be and what what you want to do with your life it's a little harder to have that openness of brain space to be creative and to really commit to a creative project at least for me okay that's interesting okay um one thing i kind of like to, to ask too that it's kind of a jump from what we were talking about i know but uh i've, I've noticed just from the nature of a lot of stuff that you've been writing about and I've been able to see a little bit of the stuff that you're working on right now. Um, you deal a lot with, 
I don't know if it's the proper term or not, like kind of more expressionistic um, type of uh, theater, type of performance. Like it's it's less realistic, more abstract with what you're trying to to show and what you're trying to do. Um, is that like a conscious choice for you? Is Or do you feel like that's just the best way to get your ideas across? Or do you really just enjoy that type of thing? All of the above. Um, <laughs> D, all of the above. Uh, I... I'm infatuated with magical realism, surrealist artwork, um, conceptual performance art, things that don't fall neatly into a genre or a category, um, and ideas that, that don't necessarily fit either. Um, also, I'm sure that it's probably some sort of like safety thing it's a little it's a little safer for me to engage with uncomfortable things in a way that's expressionist and abstract rather than to sit down and say this happened and then this happened and then that happened and then this happened and so you're writing something it doesn't make sense doesn't matter doesn't have to be exactly yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, feel, I feel a little weird admitting that to a Not recorder that but that's definitely <laughs> that's definitely it I'm going to change my shit up, too, so that, that makes sense now. Um, okay, so that's probably a good time to start wrapping up uh, the last couple of questions I'd like to ask. Uh, first off, is there anybody, any artists in the Phoenix area, um, doesn't have to be in your discipline, who you want to give some recognition to and you want to shout out? Yes, absolutely. Um, Newbox has been on my mind a lot lately, and in particular, Jordan Daniels' dance and Julie Ackerley, who took some time to sit down with me and, you know, talk about dance and theater and doing interesting movement-based things and jumping in, having been out of the game for a while. Um, and also Allison Yoder, um, all part of New Box, and Taylor Machete, who has graciously agreed to direct this one-woman show that I'm working on, um, and Tony Machete, who is interviewing <laughs> me and has read uh, a few drafts of not so great writing. <laughs> and Taylor has also, it should be noted, been graciously sitting at this table this whole time doing her very best to be quiet because she knows we're interviewing, but they were just having a rehearsal. Uh, and doing a great job, I might right, add. You've really been so her. quiet, dude. <laughs> uh, okay, anybody else at the top of your head? Or? Um, Tony Holt. He is, he, his day job is not as an artist, but he is a master in the art of patience and kindness and <laughs> grace. Um, oh, and um, Dan Hohen Hall. He is a storyteller here in the Valley and um, has just been wonderfully encouraging and kind to me, and I love his stories. Awesome. I'm sure there are other people that I can't think of, but those are those are on my mind right now. <laughs> Definitely top list. Okay. Um, any personal plugs, anything like that, websites or anything? Yeah. I I should have a really good website, <laughs> but <laughs> at this moment I do not. Um, my do Facebook is mediocre at best, but you're welcome to check that out, Ada McCartney <laughs> at Facebook. Um, and I have a work in progress showing for this one woman show coming up in November. It will be an invited small audience, but um, hopefully this will continue growing and um, and be out in the world in a larger, different form in the spring. You remember a specific day for that? November twenty seventh. Twenty seventh. Okay, and that's at the Mesa Art Center. Well, we'll have link and stuff in the 
It is. It is at the Mesa yeah. Arts Center, and there will be um, a new box event page in the near future. Awesome. Cool. Um, anything else around the corner? Anything else we should know about? If we wanted to join your fifth grade class, where would we oh, need to go? Oh, if you want to, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> Arizona School for the Arts uh-huh. uh, is great. I highly awesome. recommend um, auditioning. <laughs> right. Okay. Do they, I don't really know too much about them. Do they, um, like, do you like K through eight, or is it? It is five through 12. Grades five, five through 12. Through 12. Um, and it's, I think, music, dance, theater are the arts, and then they have a rigorous academic curriculum as well. So college prep, track, um, private charter school, I think. Awesome. Okay. So if you're not a parent yourself, then I'll go check them out, support some of the work that they're putting they out. They put on great shows. Yeah. Great shows. Cool. All right. Um, last thing I'd like to ask, uh, if you were to give a piece of advice to someone who's looking to go down your path today, what would you want to tell them? Um, don't feel committed to other people's timelines in terms of um, putting yourself out there. Um, you know, incubate if you need to. <laughs> um, and also, at a certain point, um, set the fear aside and put yourself out there because somebody will somebody will want to hear what you're what you're putting out there, even if it's just your mom, which <laughs> is important. Or your wife. Or your wife. <laughs> or your partner. Yeah. Or your husband. <laughs> I, I love it. Okay, so someone out there will will want to listen to what you have to say and uh, don't commit to somebody else's timeline. That's great, Ada. Courtney, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Tony Machete. <laughs> Special thanks to Nick Machete for writing our theme music and Taylor Machete for all of her support. If you are enjoying the podcast so far, don't forget to follow us and leave nice ratings on Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Pinecast.co. And if you or someone you know is pursuing something artistic in the Phoenix area and you'd like to be on the podcast, write to me at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.